world is noisy, God Whispers, the podcast, is a production of Journeys Revealed Ministries. Glorify the Lord by your life. To learn more about this Catholic nonprofit apostolate, visit the website journeysrevealed.com. And now on with this month's show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The World is Noisy, God Whispers, the podcast. I'm your host, Julia Monin, with me, Father Jedediah Tridel, for this special Advent series. Hi, Father. Hi, Julia. <laughs> How are you this fine day? I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. This way is, uh, too excited. This is going to be a good time. I'm way too excited. Probably should not have had coffee today. I'm still drinking it, though. But well, they say the best cure for anxiety is more coffee, right? Is that so? That's, uh, that's right. what they say. Right. I've read that somewhere mm-hmm. or nowhere. This is going to be so fun. So before we like go into like what we're actually getting into, let's remind listeners where we've been. Last Lent, we did the podcast series on St. <coughs> John of the Cross, and it was really like a helicopter quick overflight of all his writings. I think that was our intent anyway, just introduce people to the to St. John of the Cross, to this mystical doctor of the church, take a quick look at all of his different writings and what was he what he was unfolding in all of those and um really just an introduction to him because you could spend the rest of your life studying him. right maybe dispel some of the secrecy secrecy and the mystique mm-hmm. around john of the cross he's a, mm-hmm. he's a saint that i think a lot of people are afraid to read or feel like they're not prepared to read and mm-hmm. hopefully we just show that there's there's a way to read john of the cross that uh really does appeal to a wide audience so sure, hopefully sure. we did a good job introducing him yeah and then that got us thinking about doing that at lent and then that got us kind of thinking <coughs> a little bit ahead of if maybe perhaps the Lord might will us to do this again. So when thinking about Advent, we're thinking, of course, of a shorter season. We don't have six weeks like we have with John. We have four weeks. And again, thinking about the little flower, St. Therese of Lisieux, and um, a tremendous miracle that she received on Christmas, it seemed most fitting that perhaps we might talk about Therese during these four weeks of Advent, which is where we are today. Right. And it, it kind of works as a uh, spiritual successor, no pun intended, or maybe all pun intended, <laughs> a spiritual successor to the uh, Lent podcast, because uh, during the podcast on John, we mm-hmm. talked primarily about the, the life of the soul, the growth of the soul, uh, the union with God, things like that. And, mm-hmm. and I think we see that lived out very practically. In the life of St. Therese, Absolutely. which we will talk about right. as we progress. And so kind of see this as, a, well, what is all this, uh, you know, this spiritual terminology, spiritual theology? Okay, what does that look like practically lived out? Well, we mm-hmm. see that really lived out really beautifully in the life of mm-hmm. Therese. And so we'll, yeah. we will approach that with great humility. Absolutely. Through that And lens. excitement. And excitement. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so... We, we looked at this story of the soul, which is what we'll be talking about primarily during these four weeks, and really through the lens of the teachings that we get from the mystical doctor of the church, St. John of the Cross. So what was God doing in the life of Therese's soul as she was penning these words and as she was recalling these memories? So to just jump to Therese's words herself, she writes in uh, chapter one of Manuscript A of Story of the Soul, it is not then my life properly so called that I'm going to write. It is my thoughts on the graces God deigned to grant me. I find myself at a period in my life when I can cast a glance on the past. My soul has matured in the crucible of exterior and interior trials. And now, like a flower strengthened by the storm, I can raise my head and see the words of Psalm 22 realized. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And she continues with that psalm. So it's not necessarily her life 
like she writes herself. It's not that I'm just writing this just to tell you about my life and when I was born and when, you know, the Lord called me home and what happened in, in the middle of all of that. But it's the her thoughts on how God's grace is being to grant her. And so that's what we're really diving into in this series. Right. Yeah, there's a somewhat humorous story that uh, <coughs> towards the end of Therese's life, uh, when she was uh, already a professed Carmelite, she was a, a discalced Carmelite nun, as uh, many of us know, uh, she was uh, reminiscing with her other sisters, and she had uh, three blood sisters in the uh, Lajeux Carmel with her, mm -hmm. and uh, they were reminiscing about the past, reminiscing about their childhood, and uh, Therese seemed to have a, a great memory of life growing up, and her, uh, her older sister, Pauline, who uh, became uh, Mother Mother Agnes, mm -hmm. uh, who was the, the prioress of the Carmel, uh, kind of jokingly said, under obedience, I want you to write these memoirs down. Mm -hmm. And so Therese took that very seriously and uh, began to write these memoirs. Mm -hmm. And so it's, uh, it's written much later, her reflections over her life, primarily how was God working in her life, through her life, mm -hmm. uh, what brought her from early childhood to where they were there mm -hmm. in Carmel, probably sometime in suppose 1896 maybe 1897 and uh yeah so she so from that we get story of a soul mm -hmm. and and therese struggled with it at first and it's right in the opening she struggled perhaps at first with this idea of of writing down her story because by default she thinks this is going to be too much about me right and by this time she had grown and matured so much that her life was lost in christ ha as it's supposed to be with all of us and so she kind of fought that a little bit and of course jokingly or not the act when you you know you're a professed religious and you take a vow of obedience it's a very serious thing right and so in obedience she took her pen to paper but quite quickly the lord helped her realize that you know what god is glorified in the lives of his saints and so this isn't about me and me taking this opportunity to just tell everybody about me and how great i am this is an opportunity for me to reflect on how god has been at work in the life of a meek humble soul mm -hmm. like she considered herself to be in quite honestly, was probably considering that very well, right? Right. Um, and so she struggled with that at the beginning, but quickly the Lord brought her through that, and she recognized in obedience, this is what I'm setting out to do now. Did she think this was going to be a book we're reading 100 years later that has converted hundreds of thousands of souls that we are still taking spiritual fruits from? Not at first. <laughs> no, did she think this would be the text that uh, got her name do a doctor of the church, right. like an authoritative teacher of the spiritual life? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Certainly not. Right, right. Um, but the Lord wills what he wills. Right. <laughs> in fact, at the end of her life, she has the, the famous line that she'll do more good in heaven than she did on earth. Mm -hmm. And so she thought her primary, well, I suppose it is, mm -hmm. uh, her primary work was to, to be an intercessor mm -hmm. uh, for the church on earth in heaven. Mm -hmm. And it is. But even her, her short time on earth, inconsequential though it seemed, mm -hmm. 24 years, mm -hmm. uh, bore much fruit. Continues to bear much fruit, mm -hmm. and she continues to be like one of the one of the most popular saints in the church. And it seems like October first every year, uh, her feast day in the uh, the Roman calendar, mm -hmm. uh, seems like a bigger and bigger holiday, uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And the church has had saints like that all throughout her history, like uh, Saint Anthony of Padua. Mm -hmm. You know, at one time was uh, very very popular. Martin of Tours, very very popular. And so there are these uh, th these saints who we see throughout the church's history, where there seems to be a very very large cult of devotion to them because they're still putting in uh, a full day's worth mm -hmm. in heaven <laughs> for us. Right. Praise God for that. And we'll talk more about that when we get towards the end of this story of a soul and as we get to the end of her life and, and kind of tie all this together towards one of the later episodes. But for now, we're going to spend today really looking at 
the first four chapters in manuscript A, where she talks, this was going to take her through her childhood, take her through what she calls the second period of her, her life, which is the most painful and, and distressing time of her life. And again, looking at this through the teachings we get from the mystical doctor of the church, John of the Cross, who she was a daughter of in Carmel, mm -hmm. right? So this would have been her father in Carmel. And looking at it through what the teachings he gives us on what was really what was really happening in the life of her soul during these what seemed like perhaps ordinary human circumstances that that the Lord had placed into her life, what was God really doing? So this is where we are going. Um, and before we dive into that anymore, let's go ahead and officially put ourselves in the presence of God and open with prayer. Would you mind opening us with prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, through the intercession and the teachings of St. Therese, we ask you to inflame our hearts with love for you and love for our neighbor. And we ask that through uh, Therese's intercession uh, that we may uh, grow in closeness to you and uh, may communicate the truths of the faith and communi communicate the truths of your love uh, for us through her doctrine. And uh, we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. God, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You mentioned a second ago, uh, Manuscript A, yeah. and maybe for uh, for those who don't know, uh, Story of a Soul is, it's really three manuscripts, A, B, and C. A was written at the uh, uh, request of her older sister, Mother Agnes. Uh, B was continued after there was a, a new prioress. Her name is slipping my mind, and I should have prepared oh that. Oh, yeah. Mo uh, Mother, Mother uh, Gonzaga. Yeah, I'll find it. Yeah, and then uh, Manuscript C was written uh, towards, towards the end of her life uh, in her uh, her final, her final, uh, final weeks, mm -hmm. and so it's really it's it's three different manuscripts that are like put together, constitute one story. So when we talk about manuscript A, we're talking about the first uh, eight chapters mm -hmm. of Story of a Soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Sister Marie of the Sacred Heart was who she wrote manuscript B to. There it is. And okay. it's interesting too to look at that because man so manuscript A, again out of obedience to her mother in Carmel, who was also her blood sister Pauline is really was really meant to be maybe she thought at best a family souvenir like something where they could collect their thoughts as a family and and reminisce about that and then b it's interesting that this was like the fruit of a, of a retreat or her last retreat perhaps and really what was the lord was was it her last retreat right now i'm questioning that um uh, yeah a souvenir of Teresa's last re retreat and then manuscript three was for mother marie de, de gonzaga yeah am i saying that there right? it is yeah yeah its purpose being to supply her with information for composing a circular after Therese's death, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Like they asked her to write down particularly what was going on in the life of Carmel because her death was imminent at this point. They knew mm -hmm. it was coming. And, you know, the circular, what went out to the Carmels about these sisters, these nuns that had passed away, right, their information. Right. And so they were gathering information for that. It was like pre-funeral pre planning. <laughs> right. Right. And it's, uh, I'm jumping ahead here, but uh, that circular was actually instrumental in Elizabeth Catez's vocation, yeah. who became Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity. Oh, that's a saint. Okay. Yeah, how about that? Anything you want uh, to read down here? Okay. Next time. Okay. <laughs> so maybe so before we jump into the book, uh, I think a lot of people have, and I can speak for myself too. Sure. A lot of people have at one time or still have a difficult time with Saint Therese. Like, why would I want to read the memoirs of a young French girl in an admittedly flowery portion of the Church's history mm -hmm. in France? Mm -hmm. uh, Maybe someone reads Story of a Soul, and they come across some of uh, you know the imagery Therese uses 
for her relationship with the Lord, like being his uh, his his plaything, or like like the uh, a baby's toy ball. Sure. If she wanted to be like uh, Jesus' toy ball, and you read that, you're like, that's really kind of kind of corny. You mm-hmm. know, that's this this isn't for me. I don't like this little way stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think a lot of people have maybe some difficulty. I know when I was early on in seminary, everyone seemed to love Saint Therese, and I got I don't know a, a chapter or two in the story of her soul and just put it down. I was like, I, I, I can't do this. You know, this was, of course, my heart was very hard. <laughs> it's still hard, Julia, right. but uh-huh. it was harder then. Right. <laughs> okay. So do you, have any, do you have any tips for maybe mm-hmm. those who struggle with St. Therese? Well, one, just be mindful of that, that reading this in her, in, her, in her writing, it's almost like reading poetry. And we talked about that when we talked about John. When these mystical doctors, when these spiritual doctors reach or like are living in this incredibly supernatural mystical life it's difficult to put into words what god is doing in the soul and so a lot of times they put it in poetry right because mm-hmm. it's like it's an i don't know what you can't quite put your finger on it it's there but you can't describe it and so to really look at it like that is in a sense what you're reading is is it has a poetic kind of feel to it that's mm-hmm. very unique to therese and to her soul and to her spirituality and to know that no two souls are alike. Like, this isn't necessarily how you're going to approach your life of prayer. Mm-hmm. This isn't necessarily the words you're going to use. But to go through it through that lens, like, I'm not necessarily opening up a, a literary masterpiece. In fact, it's probably not that and never was it considered that. I'm reading this poetic version of, of this, this saint that lived, you know, 100 years before me and how she was processing the life of her soul as it was growing. And so I think if you go through it through that lens, then you set those expectations are a little bit different. You approach it differently. And again, what happens in that? Your heart is softened before you Mm -hmm. even open the pages, which is always good for the Lord to go to work and let the Holy Spirit go to work. You know what else was really helpful is um, there's the, you know, just the story of a soul edition. I kind of have a preference to ICF publication and their translations, but then they have, you know, just story of a soul with the three manuscripts. They've also produced and published a study edition of Story of a Soul that was prepared by um, Father Mark Foley, a Discalced Carmelite friar. And at the end of the different sections, he takes time to actually dive into the spirituality, the psychology of what was going on in Therese. He gives discussion questions. And that people find that helpful as well because he takes this poetic language and kind of translate it, translate it translates it into a practical language that you can understand and apply to your own life. And it's a very good translation, too. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the ones you get from ICS, uh, especially, uh, I think we're both using that, the, yeah. the study edition, mm-hmm. uh, which also has maybe some of the parts of the book that were cut from the original version. So it's the, it's the full, unedited St. <laughs> Therese. Yeah. Uh, but the, the translation is excellent. And sometimes I think some of the prob- problems folks have with Therese is that you get a hold of an old translation or you get a hold of something that's in uh, uh, the public domain, uh, a lot of, a lot of these dies. A lot of turn of the nineteenth century, pardon, turn of the twentieth century, uh, poetic kind of flowery language, mm-hmm. and that can be somewhat off-putting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, the 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 content speaks for itself. You know, if we I think approach it with that with that humility, mm-hmm. and yeah, I definitely recommend getting. Uh, one one of the editions from ICS Publications, and they're not paying me to say that. They're not paying me. No, but I read a lot, and those are <laughs> those are very very readable. Yeah. The study edition is extremely helpful. So, yeah. and yeah, and, and you know, just as a as a caveat, mm-hmm. uh, when I read Story of a Soul as a deacon preparing for priest ordination, there was, I think, the most uh, maybe moving spiritual book I've ever read, where it it didn't really appeal intellectually in the same way that. Reading St. Augustine or reading Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. 
appeals to like the intellectual side of the faith. I mean, there were great mystics too, so not to demean them, but uh, I think like Therese kind of bypasses that and speaks right to the heart and inflames that love of God. If we, you know, if, if we're reading, if we're reading her in the sense of okay, what's God doing in her soul, and what does that say about how God works in all of our souls? And when that's there, it's like okay. Uh, so I, th I think like Therese taught me how to pray <laughs> by teaching me how to love. Is that, a, is, that a good, uh, is that a good way to start that? Yeah, this is a good way to say, too, this, this podcast is being uh, officially recorded in front of a live studio audience. We, we do have someone in the studio, a.k.a. the office, Keisha, who's behind the scene kind of offering as, uh, setting in as producer to get us. You can tell we got a prettier setup this time That's than right. we did with John of the Cross. That is not me. That was because I invited a professional into this. So with that being said, Keisha, I don't know what he just said, but write that down. No, like what minute mark are we at? Like, because I want to write that down. What, repeat what you just said about Therese taught you how to pray by teaching you how to love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to put that in the description of this episode because that was really good. Okay, that was just a, okay. Okay, so moving on then with, with this reality of you might have a distaste at first. We kind of talked about ways to approach that, um, to, to like ha have the right expectations before you go in to read about it. Behind me, you notice this beautiful picture, if you're watching the video, of Choosing All, an Advent journey of trust, suffering, and love with St. Therese. Choosing All. Perhaps that's where we should begin. Like, where mm -hmm. does that come from? What does that mean? Why did we choose that as the title? Because Therese has so many quotes that we could have pulled from, but what, what's the meaning behind that? Oh, you're asking me. I'm going to ask okay. you. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll uh, read Therese in her own words here. Sure. So she says, I understood that there were many degrees of perfection, and each soul was free to respond to the advances of our Lord, to do little or much for him, in a word, to choose among the sacrifices he was asking. Then as, the as in the days of my childhood, I cried out, my God, I choose all. I don't want to be a saint by halves. I'm not afraid to suffer for you. I fear only one thing, to keep my own will, so take it, for I choose all that you will. And so this this uh, this sense, looking back, that uh, <coughs> that God oftentimes kind of sets out a number of different things for us in life, like interiorly and exteriorly. It's not like our, our vocation's hidden somewhere, and if you miss it, oh, well, now you're going to have a terrible, cursed life. So that's not how God works. God works with our free will, he, and he allows us to cooperate with his graces in many different ways. And Therese recognizes that, that, that the Lord often sets out several paths forward for us, and uh and Therese's sense of I choose all is that I don't want to choose the easiest path. Uh, I don't want to choose the one that's most that seems most pleasant to me. Uh, I don't want to be inclined to whatever's easiest. Mm -hmm. But that's John of the Cross. Uh, John of the Cross. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I choose all. Like basically every grace that God offers me, <coughs> I want to milk those graces for everything they're worth. Right. And so whether that's the uh, and so part of the title, whether that's having to trust God through a difficult time, whether that's enduring suffering, whether those are consoling times of joy, uh, whatever whatever is there, <coughs> that you recognize that every every one of those things is an opportunity of grace. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a vehicle of grace. Mm -hmm. And so Therese chooses all. So whatever, that trust and surrender we talk about at St. Therese, whatever the Lord puts in front of me, I choose it, I take it, mm -hmm. not my will, but thy will be done, mm -hmm. and there's my path for holiness. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what we see in Therese. So I think that certainly sums up a lot of her teaching it does and it's and this is what is so <coughs> uniquely beautiful about Therese is how she came across this incredibly profound realization of the truth of this idea she didn't want to be a saint by halves she was going to choose all 
like in how she resolved. So it's a simple story, a simple memory of her childhood, and that her older sister, Leonie, which, by the way, we should mention, Therese is from a family of nine, is that correct? Five sisters, her and four other sisters survived. Um, mm-hmm. They lost <coughs> four children young in life. Um, and by the way, her parents are also saints, and we'll get to that. I'm going to mm-hmm. talk about that more in a second. But she's the youngest, then, of these five girls right. that, that survived through adulthood. Um, but anyway, so one of her older sisters comes to her. Her older sister is getting rid of some of her dolls and comes to the <laughs> younger two sisters and says, here, take what you want, right, because I'm done playing with this. I've outgrown these things. And her older sister takes a ball of wool that was pleasing to her, Therese says, and then after a moment's reflection, she stretched out her hand and said, I choose all. And she took whatever was left in the basket. And again, the Lord allowed that simple memory, that simple childhood memory of her reaction to that and how she responded to that and tied it into this is a this is truth being played out in the life of my soul in such a, a simple way. Um, but again, that's Therese. This is how her life played out and the gift that she is to us in the church. Um, these profound truths, these profound meanings, and yet come through these simple, practical mm-hmm. littleness of, of her life. So, okay. All right, so she chooses all, and she is being um, raised in this incredibly de- devout household, mm-hmm. right, by, again, saintly parents who are right. literally canonized saints. Um, Louis and Zelie Martin. Mm-hmm. I always feel like uh, pretentious, because I think it's Martin, or Martin, oh, right? Well. Martin. Louis and Zelie Martin. <laughs> uh, Louis had discerned, uh, Louis and Zelie had both discerned religious life. Uh, Louis uh, wanted to be... I think he wanted to be a monk, discerned uh, monastic life, mm-hmm. and uh, he and Zelie met. They fell in love, uh, and got married. Mm-hmm. Had a bunch of kids. Mm-hmm. Whole family of saints. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. That it's is ridiculous. It's great, but they but they r- they ran the house in many ways like a monastery. Uh, I think in the uh, in the in the attic, Louis had his place where he would go to be alone to pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would pray together as a family. Uh, pretty much the if there was a idyllic Catholic family. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, that's the Martins. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so Teresa's life starts out in this super consoling, uh, super joyful, almost idealized mm-hmm. kind of childhood. Mm-hmm. Right. And she, w- she <coughs> mentions here in the opening of uh, Story of a Soul, again in Chapter 1, that Jesus was watching over her from, from her birth, that he had willed all to turn out for her good, even her faults, corrected very early stood her in good stead to make her grow in perfection she she mentions that she has nothing but good example around her so talking about her saintly parents the her older sisters who are saints on their own uh, by their own measure right so she had nothing but good example around her and she naturally wanted to follow it and she goes on to to later point out how much she realized what a grace that was from god that perhaps she wasn't like the Mary Magdalene who was um, saved from a life of mortal sin, but God from the very first moment of her existence was protecting her from that by surrounding her with good example. And she points out all these ways that God protected this, these, these temptations of sin to even penetrate any of her depths. And so she, she looked at that, rightly so, as the workings of grace, right, of this was God. He may not have pulled me out of the burning fire, but he kept me from falling into it to begin with, right? All working, workings of grace in the life of her soul. So she's surrounded by this good example. She's naturally inclined to want to follow this good example mm-hmm. in the life of her family. Um, at four and a half years old, right, four and a half, um, things start to change, though, for her and for the life of her family. Her mother, Zelie, 
dies of breast cancer when she was that young, right? And so the whole family has to reset. Um, and this is where we kind of pick up in, in uh, by the way, I think that already is happening towards the mm-hmm. end of chapter one, right? Right. So this happens and the whole family has to reset and, and find um, what, what is God doing through all of this. And this takes us to what Therese calls her winter of trial. Mm-hmm. She, she says, this is really where the second period of my life began. And she says, this is the most painful of the three. She kind of divided her, her life into three different periods. This is the most painful of the three and um, extends from the age of four and a half to that of 14. And that's a long time. It's a long time. And to, to read about what happened in the life of her soul in those 10 years, first of all, you forget that she's four and 14. You forget how young she is because there's a depth of maturity there that so many of us don't even reach on our, on our deathbed. But she is taking every opportunity, so every suffering the Lord sends into her life or allows in her life, and by the workings of grace is allowing that to be a vehicle of the night, mm-hmm. right? And again, going back to St. John of the Cross's terminology, that our lives, our souls are constantly being grown and purified, right? Growing in their union and likeness with Christ, our Savior, and so they have to be purified. We can compare that to a night of, of the soul, and that night itself can be categorized in two different ways, the night of the senses and the night of the spirit. So the night of the senses, you know, is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? not the weaker of the two faculties or the weaker part of the soul, but what's lower the faculties. There you go. Yeah. That was closer than yeah. I thought. So, you got it. right. Okay. So like purifying the senses. So right. our attachments to, I don't know, created things. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the deeper purification, this purification of the sense. But I think what we're seeing a lot of in these 10 years, the second period of her life is we're seeing this purification of these, these uh, senses, right. Right? the lower faculties. And again, it's not like Therese was five year old, five years old and saying, you know what, I need to mortify my desires and my attachments because I read it about St. John of the Cross. <laughs> right, I'm going to put right. myself into this night that I better start actively doing these things. But God's grace was at work so powerfully through her and through her family that all these opportunities for suffering, for purifying, for all these things kept coming into her life, and those became vehicles of the night. She didn't just look at them and say, you know what, this stinks, and when this is over, then life will return to normal. She looked at it as, this is meant to purify me, and here's how it did purify me. So that by the time she's 14, she's gone through this intense period of purification and suffering. And that's something we see in uh, it'll really anyone's life who's pursuing the life of prayer, the life of holiness, is that you know, the Lord often provides great consolations uh, early on in that pursuit to preserve us in a way. So uh, <coughs> what we see in Therese is, is really mirrored in, in everyone's in the life of everyone's soul, where like often, whether that's the uh, the zeal that comes from someone who just went through the RCIA process, you know, they've, they've studied their way into the church, they have this like beautiful idea of everything's, everything's going great in the Catholic right. church right now, right. you know, <laughs> and so and you, you come in, you get baptized in the Easter vigils, this beautiful big mass, everything's great, and, and you get this, this great zeal, and so they call that mm-hmm. just a like convert zeal, mm-hmm. or someone who's baptized Catholic, confirmed, been away from the church for a long time, have a major conversion experience, now they're on fire for the Lord, uh, they're trying to grow in holiness, they're reading the saints, mm-hmm. and it's just, okay, this is great, this mm-hmm. is awesome, I've never felt closer to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we see that e- even in something like uh, going on a retreat, you know, we talk about the retreat high, mm-hmm. you know, we can 
okay, I'm seeking the Lord. Oh, man, I'm experiencing all these consolations. This must be it. This is the heights of the mystical life, right? And, you know, we see in the, the saints, the doctors of the church who speak about the mystical life, again, John of the Cross, Teresa of Jesus, that, uh, no, the Lord provides these consolations for a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're there to help us mm-hmm. for a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not ready to be weaned from milk yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the Lord gives, it gives, us, gives, tho- gives us those consolations uh, to keep us encouraged, to keep us coming back. And uh, I think St. Ignatius of Loyola says that we, we hold on to these consolations because we know they're not always going to be there. Uh, but we remember that we can, we can kind of look back on those times, mm-hmm. and so this is this is and those consolations uh, have to be purified if we want to grow. You know, mm-hmm. we're not if we're always looking for a retreat high. We're not actually seeking God. We're seeking His His gifts. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're always uh, looking to feel feel super zealous, super on fire, then again we're not looking for God. We're looking for a way to feel. Mm-hmm. And these are not bad things in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. But God's gifts are not God Himself, mm-hmm. and and so John of the Cross particularly speaks about the, the purification of the senses, purification purification of how we feel, mm-hmm. uh, so that we begin to seek God more because of who He is rather than for what He gives us. Mm-hmm. And we just see that at a very very young age for Therese, where He's preser- God has preserved her with these great consolations interiorly and exteriorly, great family life, even beyond the holy family life. They're just a nice family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a great time. They love each other. Therese talks about the long walks and the beautiful meadows mm-hmm. and just life in uh, uh, Alençon mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. And, and then all of a sudden these things start to be taken away mm-hmm. one by one. Her, mm-hmm. uh, her mother dies tragically. Uh, and that's when we kind of, like you said, enter into that second period of her life, mm-hmm. 4 to 14, uh, where she experiences these, these major uh, deprivations mm-hmm. of the senses mm-hmm. and deprivations of everything that's consoling and it feels like being in a light er, in a night mm-hmm. like Jesus Pete who turned the lights out mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and but mm-hmm. this is where we really start to see growth in Therese as well and like you mentioned in the lights of all of our souls when we get to these these forks in the road so to speak where we begin to choose God not just because he's giving us everything we want and we feel great about it um, but because he is God, right? And this is a great period of, of maturity. Is anyone else in their head right now seeing the, the ascent of Mount Carmel and John's like path, nada, nada, nada? You know, it's like, That's I'm right. seeing it in my head as you're talking about. So, you know, we have the goods of earth that the Lord will detach us from, and we have the goods of heaven, and we talk about, you know, the retreat highs and all of these things. Like, God does certainly give us these consolations, and it's quite frankly because we are so stinking weak we need them like he knows and we knows we we need them because we are so weak and and we're we're creatures that need to you know feel these things in the beginning but as we grow you know mm-hmm. the, the the lord purifies purifies us of all of that so again like we had all these these hermits and desert fathers and, and old wise mystics ascending ascending mount carmel then there's this little four and a half year old girl just kind of toddling up <coughs> passing them <laughs> that's right <laughs> She did. We'll get to that in later. Later. <laughs> so, um, okay. So she enters into this second period. Perhaps we could look at this as like a dark night of the senses, right? Where all these things are being purified. Um, her mother dies. This obviously rocks her world a little bit. As a family, they move from. I'm gonna let you pronounce the city's names. I think it's just Le Bouzonnet. Oh, you think that's it? It's just. I Le think. Le Bouzonnet. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Okay. It just means the bushes okay. in. Uh, uh, in French. So they moved from what was the A word? Alençon. They moved from there, 
to... I'm so sorry to our <laughs> French listeners. <laughs> <laughs> if you have French listeners, shout out to them. Bonjour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. So they moved from there, which is like a city, right? Am I right? And then they moved to this... Say it again. Les Bisonnets. Yeah, that. It sounds great. You're fooling me. I'm not French, but you're fooling me. Which is more of like a country, sort of. Uh, am I wrong in that? I suppose so. I think it's, it's uh, Louis' brother uh, provided, uh, I think, a, a house for them to rent, mm-hmm. to stay at. And, mm-hmm. and so a kind of extended family mm-hmm. took them in for a period. Yeah. With her uncle, who was very kind-hearted, but also kind of frightened her. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so they they moved to this, and then... Shortly after, I can't remember how long it was, but shortly after they kind of reset, they have this move, which by the way, you know, these are big things happening in the life of a little person, right? Your mom dies, you pick up, you're, you move into a new home. These are a lot of things that are going to be rocking her, psychologically speaking, not to mention what God is doing spiritually in the depths of her soul. And then um, she gets word, and it's not from a direct, but she overhears a conversation happen, a conversation happening with her older sister, Pauline, who she had attached herself to as her second mother after her mom passed i mean rightly so right so she attaches herself to her older sister and looks at her as a mother and she overhears that her older sister pauline is perhaps going to leave and go to the carmel she obviously did not take this well that's right right. when we talk about a carmel that's colloquially how they speak about uh that would be a monastery of discalced carmelite nuns they usually just call them a Carmel, going to a Carmel, or going to Carmel. And mm-hmm. so we talk about the Carmel at Rizou. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where Therese went. That's where Pauline went. Thank you for that. So just, because I remember reading this the first time, I was like, what is a Carmel? Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> good point. Okay, excellent. The scent of Mount Caramel. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Sounds yummy. Is that great work, the, the way of confection? <laughs> um, I'm done. Oh, it's getting <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Please don't be done. This is all, We're just getting started. Okay, so... She she catches wind that Pauline is going to leave and go to Carmel. This does not sit well with her. Mm. It rocks her world. Again, be thinking about this, what we said. These things that are happening to her life are more than just tragedies that we just have to somehow survive and then get through so we can get back to our normal life. Uh-uh. That's not what this is. Ha- what's happening when God is, is uh, giving us these vehicles of the night. He means them for greater moments of grace. And again, by the workings of grace, this is what's happening in the life of Therese. Her mother dies. What's actually going on? She she now, Pauline is raising her and her older sisters. Now Pauline is leaving. What is going on? These all becomes opportunities of grace for her to grow in maturity. But before that happens, the Lord, I don't want to say adds insult to in- injury here, but intensifies Therese's sufferings even more. Shortly after Pauline enters Carmel, she goes through a physical suffering that, um, yeah, I mean, can you add some insight into perhaps what that kind of was, like delusions and, not delusions, but um, it seemed like a psychological suffering, I mean, on the surface, um, but Therese goes back in hindsight and says for sure she thinks this was just coming from Satan, right, and that... Yeah, an excessive sensitivity mm-hmm. is what she calls it, so mm-hmm. maybe a uh, just very, I don't know, emotionally fragile, if we mm-hmm. can put it that way, mm-hmm. for, for a long period of time, mm-hmm. until sort of a... Uh, kind of miraculous grace that got her through that. So there's these interior sufferings at the same time because, uh, you know, sometimes we, we can separate psychological, whether it was psychological or spiritual, yeah. uh, we can separate psychological from the spiritual, but remember God works through our own humanity and our humanity can be physically damaged 
mm. at even for even temporarily, and that physical damage can express itself in other mental illnesses, mm. things like that. But that's you know that's part of who we are, and you know as, as Catholics we understand the good of the whole person. It's not just a soul trapped in a body, but uh, but these even these things like uh, excessive sen- sensitivity on the part of Therese or emotional trauma. Clearly, she's experienced a lot of emotional trauma. Mm. Can be ways that you know God works through that. Mm. You know, and that's that's not something we have to bracket off mm. from everything else mm-hmm. in the spiritual life. And right. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's here's where she grew though. Yeah. Uh, this is, and of course she's 23, 24, looking back and uh, reflecting now. But mm-hmm. but she says. Uh, how can I express the anguish of my heart? Right after uh, I was about to lose my second mother, how can I express the anguish of my heart? In one instant, I understood what life was. Until then, I had never seen it so sad, but it appeared to me in all its reality, and I saw it was nothing but a continual suffering and separation. I shed bitter tears because I did not yet understand the joy of sacrifice. Mm. So that's there's some depth there. There's some great depth there. I didn't that flowery... French nonsense, my foot. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? No, right. Um, looking through it through the right lens. Wow. Okay. So she has this. She 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 becomes ill because of this. You hear her putting this in her words, and she says um, she believed that she became ill on purpose, and this was a real martyrdom for her soul. So again, we have these exterior trials, we have these interior trials, and this is becoming a martyrdom for her soul, right? Again, purifying, that God God is purifying her soul, drawing it to itself, detaching it from all of these things it had grown attached to, and doing this at such a young age, right? Because, I don't know why, because the household she was born in, the the graces she was receiving from a young age, and, you know, God wills what he wills to do in the souls that he wills to do in the soul. So, um, okay. All right, so then we can look through, like, Today we're talking about chapters 1 through 4 in Manuscript A, if I haven't mentioned that already. And we can look through these chapters and we can pull out, again, if you're looking at the teachings of, that we get from the mystical doctor who is like, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but the church given like authority on the life of the, the spiritual life, yes? Right, that's uh, the doctors of the church mm-hmm. hold a particular weight of authority in uh, uh, the teachings of the saints. So yeah, just that's a good thing to remember. Just because someone's a blessed or a canonized saint does not mean that, uh, not necessarily through their own fault, but doesn't necessarily mean that their teaching is uh, given the weight of authority mm-hmm. for like as like the church's teaching is like, uh, I think Pope Benedict used the example of uh, St. Catherine Labore, where there's theological errors in her writing, not because she was malicious, just mm-hmm. there were errors, mm-hmm. and that doesn't take away from the fact that she's a canonized saint, so mm-hmm. especially talking about the life of the soul, the spiritual life, the mystical life, you know, just because well, the blessed so-and-so said this, that doesn't mean much. Mm-hmm. You know, who who are the doctors of the church who who have stood the test of time? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, John Paul II reaffirmed in uh, Novo Millennio Innuento, I believe that, uh, you know, John and Teresa still stand as the major teachers, of the, as the primary teachers of the spiritual life. And mm-hmm. Teresa's a doctor, John's a doctor, Therese is their spiritual daughter. She was named a doctor of the church as well for her sublime theology on on love love mm-hmm. so uh, so yeah so that's a good thing to keep in mind with all branches of theology systematics morals and everything but you know especially spiritual theology mm-hmm. uh, because of the amount of time discernment things like that that go and risk of deception and delusion Absolutely. and error 
that goes in with all this. So yeah. Absolutely. So that's good comment. So that's what we are uh, keep calling back to. We'll keep going back to John. By the way, you mentioned John Teresa. You're talking about Teresa Jesus. Teresa that's right. Of Avila, the reformers of the Carmelite order during the, the mm-hmm. time of the Reformation and how, yeah, doctors of the church and this, this spiritual theology, especially John looking to him as this, this uh, yeah, exactly what he is, the doctor of the church and the mystical theology and spiritual theology. So again, going back to what he gives us in his teachings and his doctrine and looking through these first four chapters, you can pull out, again, Therese's life gives us the practical way that John's teaching is lived out. And we can go through here and we can pull out, okay, Therese perhaps struggled with um, vanity. It gets brought up a lot in these first few chapters, right? How the Lord maybe was protecting her from overcoming that or how she was in situations where she could tell that grace was at work so that that didn't become an attachment for her. Um, that gets brought up quite a bit. Also, um, yeah, love of cr- love of creatures or, or, or a disordered attachment to creatures, to other people's opinions and praise, um, and then seeking attention from others. So there's practical little situations where she pulls out, uh, that we can pull <coughs> out in this manuscript, and we can say, here is what God was doing through his grace to purify the life of her soul in this darkness, in this night, in these sufferings. And so going back to vanity, it's so interesting because when I read this the first time, and of course, being a woman who can relate to that, being an issue in my own life and in the own life of my soul, and now, of course, reading as I have I have a child to raise on my own and like looking at her parents who are saints as like a model for like, how do you, how do you raise a saint? Like here we have two saints who give us the example of how to raise a saint. It's interesting that she points out here that um, her parents never talked to her about how pretty she was or how even intellectual, how, how smart she was. They weren't necessarily that she wasn't. It was just recognizing that all of this can feed a temptation where we can become attached to how we look. And that was eye-opening to me the first time I read it because, you know, you grow up telling everyone that or hearing that all the time. Oh, you look so pretty. Oh, you look so da 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 And of course we go no ahead. No one ever told me that. Well <laughs> <laughs> I, I was expected to regroup after that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. The Lord was protecting you. That's right. That's what it was. The Lord was showering you with graces. Yeah. That would not be an attachment that you would have to face. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> not not complimenting. Louie and Zoe not complimenting to her. She hadn't grown up hearing all those things. She hadn't. Mm-hmm. And then um, she noticed there were a couple times where in her life, she po- points out later on, where she overheard people saying it. And she recognizes, you know, I've never heard anybody tell me about that. So I just always assumed that that wasn't the case. But now I can r- I realize that that actually wasn't good for me to hear. And I'm actually grateful that the Lord didn't allow me to hear that. Again, all these simple things that seem simple on the surface, but where uh, Therese is pointing out and recognizing, you know, here's what was happening, the, this, this, this self-love, this vanity. And God was showing me how I could easily be filled with that in certain situations where I was and how these things were curing me of that as I continued to surrender and, and grow more and more in my trust and my suffering and my love of my true king and not in how pretty I am or how smart I am or what these people think of me. That's right. Yeah, towards the uh, middle of chapter four, uh, she says, I always feel, however, the same bold confidence of becoming a great saint because I don't count on my merits since I have none, but I trust in him who is virtue and holiness. God alone, content with my weak efforts, will raise me to himself and make me a saint, clothing me with his infinite merits. I didn't think then that one had to suffer very much to reach reach sanctity, but God was not long in showing me this was so, 
and in sending me the trials I have always I have already mentioned. And so whether she didn't she maybe didn't know it as much at the time as I mean who can blame a four or five year old for not having uh, clear theological terminology to describe mm -hmm. what's happening interiorly. Mm -hmm. But at the time she's writing this, she can look back and you know see where God was working, and so she recognizes this was a time where she had the capacity to do it. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, God's being mean to a four-year-old. Mm -hmm. It's like this, clearly she took her spiritual life seriously. Her family took their spiritual life seriously. There was a great capacity there. And so, you know, God allowed mm -hmm. uh, in his permissive will, he permitted these things to occur as, as like you said, vehicles for grace, vehicles for of the night, to put it to us. And she, uh, you know, relied on God's grace to, help her ri rise to the occasion mm -hmm. and she and she did mm -hmm. and during that time she uh maybe just a good thing to think about uh we talked a lot about about this when we did the podcast on john of the cross as the dark knight mm -hmm. but uh while she was going through this she also learned to pray right and uh maybe we could talk about that because that's also important for anyone going mm -hmm. through periods of desolation or uh, whether that's a full-on you know card carrying night of the senses or just a period of feeling alone abandoned far from god mm -hmm. uh dry in prayer arid uh that therese learns to pray so she talked about at this time in her life nobody had ever taught me how to make mental prayer and yet i had a great desire to make it um and then she talks about times where she would get lost in her thoughts like after school or she would go sit with herself or or like you mentioned her dad's study in the attic or whatever it might be she would find these places to kind of withdraw from the world and to enter into she would just considering at that time thoughts right I'm just thinking just thinking about God but later after she came again to be able to put terms with what was actually happening in the life of her soul she realized well already at that time the Lord was drawing me in my life of prayer and was um, like teaching me how to make again mental prayer and and even though she wasn't able to actually recognize that as it was happening so talk to us just a little bit about that just as a refresher like mental prayer and what she means by by that mm. uh so what does she mean by that so Teresa of jesus mm -hmm. and she's quoted in the catechism for this uh in her life <coughs> she speaks about mental prayer and calls it a uh was it speaking with the one who loves us? You know, an intimate exchange between friends, mm. right? Is that uh, okay. there's a number of different translations mm. of that. Um, something along those lines. Speaking to a friend, speaking to the one who loves us. Mm. Uh, I think in the way of perfection, Teresa also talks about what is mental prayer. Uh, don't overcomplicate it. It just means that our mind is ordered to the one we're speaking to. Mm. All right, so we can we can use rote, uh, R O T E prayers, and those can be great mental prayer. Mm. All right, so the the rosary can be mental prayer if not like just flying through it, mm -hmm. you know, and we're actually spending time meditating on the mysteries, mm -hmm. uh, just spending time, <coughs> spending time in silence, thinking about scripture or thinking about the gospels or just thinking about a sacred image, sacred architecture, something like that. That can be mental prayer because our mind is ordered to thoughts of God, mm -hmm. divine things, mm -hmm. meditating on the life of a saint or just a saint in general. Mm -hmm. We're meditating on God through his saints Lexio Divina, that's a way That's a way of doing mental prayer. It's just a, it's a more uh, structured way of spending some time reading a particular scripture passage, some time thinking about it, going back to that passage, maybe reading it with more more depth or focusing in on one specific thing. So there's not a, a cut and dry way of, of doing, I said doing, mm -hmm. of uh, entering into a time of mental prayer. It simply means that our mind is ordered 
to the one who loves us, mm -hmm. right? And that's that's what's inspiring our. Uh, so it's really like the use scholastic terminology. The intellect is informing the will. So what it, what we're thinking about, what's in our mind, uh, is forming uh, our desire mm -hmm. and the way we speak, which is ultimately love, like a, a heart turned towards God or a heart desiring God. That's uh, a heart <coughs> properly ordered. Mm -hmm. And so mental prayer is just, it's it's taking something in that's inspiring us to love mm -hmm. in prayer. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to overcomplicate that, but it does mean that the content we allow into our minds is forming our prayer. And so if we're going to be thinking thoughts about God and using that to form our prayer, you know, this should be this should be the writings of the saints. This should be scripture first and foremost, the gospels. Uh, you know, this should be yeah, good orthodox faithful things. Mm -hmm. The catechism, you know, the catechism can be great mental prayer, especially if there's a, maybe there's a church teaching someone really struggles with. Mm -hmm. uh, well, instead of just saying no, I reject it. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. Maybe look up in the catechism that that section mm -hmm. and whatever it is, maybe read that section and just take that to your mental prayer. You know, and just ask the Lord to help help you understand mm -hmm. why, you know, even if it's tough to agree with right now, mm -hmm. just at least, Lord, help me understand why, mm -hmm. you know, and so, so mental prayer is a very wide, overarching, uh, generalized way of talking about prayer. Mm. This means you're forming the mind, and the mind is forming the heart. Right. Thank you. Yeah. That's wor it's worth repeating that. It is. Um, and I think, too, perhaps sometimes it's, you said don't overcomplicate it, so to even simplify it even more. Sometimes it's easier to understand what something is by knowing what it's not. Mm -hmm. So mental prayer is not like a superstitious type of prayer of, oh, I've got this stack of devotional prayers and I've got to pray X, Y, Z devotional prayers or else mm -hmm. this is going to happen. Or um, I got to pray X, Y, Z this thing because it's like I'm rubbing a magic lamp and then I'm going to get whatever I want at the end of it, which might be, again, that's not what mental prayer is. Not that, and by the way, the Lord will work with whatever type of mm -hmm. prayer you're giving Him. So wherever you're at, you're in your stage with Him and your walk with Him. Certainly, I'm not judging that. But you know, mental prayer is not superstitious prayer where I show up to pray just because you know I got to pray every day or else, or mm -hmm. I got to pray every day because I got to get. When devotions can form our prayer, right? So if we if there's like certain litanies we like, so like the litany of humility, for example, yeah. great sure. example. Yeah. Uh, if we're you know reading the litany of, mil of humility, reading it, praying it. You know, that's forming our own language of prayer as mm -hmm. well. That's right. forming us. Oh, that's a good and yeah, and, and likewise, it's not a, uh, it's not Eastern mysticism, mysticism either. Like not Eastern Christian to Eastern pagan. Mm -hmm. So it's not centering prayer. It's not yoga. It's not clearing out the mind, emptying out the mind, and uh, finding Christ in the emptiness. That's not. That is not what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're talking about forming the mind. Mm -hmm. So filling the mind mm -hmm. with good holy content, whatever that is. And then allowing that to form the way we speak to the Lord. Oh, yeah. So good. good in, good out. Yeah. That's mental prayer. <laughs> that's beautiful. And only to become detached and to grow in this path of John of the Cross, of this path of nothing, this nada, 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 isn't to just be filled with this nothing. It's to be emptied of ourselves so that we can mm -hmm. be filled with God. That's right. Okay. That's right. Um, that's, a that's an important distinction. Mm -hmm. Okay. There is a turning point in Therese's story here so we talked about these these some small like a simple you know interaction with her uncle who you like you mentioned you know perhaps she was afraid of or and, and how that interiorly created an issue and how she the, the lord used that to purify her and detach her from her love of creatures or from the praise of wanting the praise of others or whatever so there's simple things like that 
that happened throughout her life. There's actually there's profound things like the death of her mother, Pauline entering Carmel and that separation and her overcoming those types of things. But at some point she makes you can see it happening. She makes a turn. Her soul kind of makes a turn and begins to understand these truths of God and you can see what she says. And this is in the study edition again of ICS publications. This is on page 123. The day after her communion, this would have been the second um, time she received Holy Communion, she felt born within her heart a great desire to suffer, and at the same time the interior assurance that Jesus reserved a great number of crosses for her. She felt herself flooded with consolations so great that she looked upon them as one of the greatest graces of her life. She writes, suffering became my attraction. It had charms about it which ravished me without my understanding them very well. Up until this time, I had suffered without loving suffering, but since this day, I felt a real love for it. I also felt the desire of loving only God, of finding my joy only in him. She said during her communion, she repeated these words of the imitation, and she's talking about the imitation of Christ, which she had memorized. It was mm-hmm. one of the few things that she would read and have memorized. I shouldn't say few, but one of the things she went to often. Oh, Jesus, unspeakable sweetness, change all the consolations of this earth into bitterness for me. This prayer fell from my lips without effort, without constraint. So her spiritual living formed her prayer. <gasps> how about that? How about that? Is that how that works? So you can see suffering at this point became her attraction. Before she suffered, she dealt with it. She tried to make the most of it. She tried to, you know, see the bigger picture beyond what God was doing. But up at this time now, all of a sudden, she's realizing the beauty in suffering, so much so that she's actually becoming attracted to it. She's actually, like, again, going back to John and um, saying, uh, what, what's his terminology there with um, don't seek what is easiest, but seek what is the most difficult or... Be inclined be to inclined. that which is most difficult. Yeah. yeah. So she's starting to see the beauty in that. It's right. not just random words on a page that are like, this guy's crazy. There's that dour misanthrope. That's that right. Everyone's talking about. She's saying, no, there's beauty and truth in that. And she's becoming attracted to this reality of of that. Um, so you see this kind of shifting. Mm-hmm. This is a huge like growth in maturity and humility, right? Where she is not necessarily asking. Well, she kind of is. Like, take all these consolations. I want you for you. If suffering comes along the way, so be it. In fact, I know this suffering will grow me and draw me into your depths and into your likeness, so let it happen. Right. And we, and we see that in my mind. That's kind of a kind of a good way to sum up these first four chapters: is this progression from consolations and progressions to great interior and exterior trials to this uh, acceptance and peace of soul within the middle of all the trials, and then in the middle of that peace, there's real growth. And like mm-hmm. towards the end of chapter four, she says, "Undoubtedly, for a soul a little advanced spiritually." The sweetness which the world offers is mixed with bitterness, and the immense void of the desires cannot be filled by the praises of an instant. So what we see is in this young soul, she's uh, detaching from the world, right. you know, and, and growing closer to the Lord. And that's where, uh, at the very end, the last couple of paragraphs, uh, in the midst of this detachment, she also receives her vocation. Uh, they go to, to visit... Uh, Pardon, that was the wrong one. That's the different one. Well, I know she. She does. So she 
the, the wrong quote I was looking at. This was like the one she didn't like the poor Claire monastery, but she also oh. in her heart at the same time mm-hmm. uh, grew in this love for uh, for Carmel mm-hmm. and realized that this is this is the place. Carmel mm-hmm. is the place where one can seek the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, or the life is made mm-hmm. so that one can seek the Lord with an undivided heart. Mm-hmm. And you know this begins to to flower in her soul, and there's this real love and uh, attraction mm-hmm. for this way of life. She's already seen one sister enter that way of life she would see another one enter that way of life beforehand mm-hmm. and uh and the one the, the quote i was looking at they also visited a poor claire monastery that uh, leonie entered for a time right one of her sisters mm-hmm. and uh, therese didn't have that same attraction mm-hmm. in fact she calls it a contraction of the heart the mm-hmm. this monastery produced the opposite effect which carmel produced in me mm-hmm. for there everything made my heart expand mm-hmm. and so we just we see like God's clearly given her mm-hmm. her vocation mm-hmm. already, her, her state of life, or given her that invitation where mm-hmm. this is this is not the path of least resistance. This is the mm-hmm. path of that will have great exterior and interior sufferings, uh, but you have the capacity, would you like to follow me here? Mm-hmm. And her heart expands, yeah. thinking of that. It's flowing with love within. She, uh, yeah, so she, you're right, she's finding her vocation. She's even going to the Carmel and talking about it. On page 88, she talks about that she, uh, she mentioned it to Mother Marie de Gonzaga. <coughs> Pronouncing that right? I'm not. But I think so. This, this Mother Marie did believe she had a vocation, but she told Therese, it is, don't receive postulants at the age of nine. <laughs> and I must wait till I was 16, and that was horrifying. And we're going to get into that when we pick up where we left off in the last four chapters of Manuscript A with um, yeah, her coming to terms that this is truly her vocation. This is where the Lord is calling her. And he, she had grown so much. She had made that shift in, in the life of her soul in terms of not just seeking God for the consolations, but seeking him because he's God and wanting to do his will. And that does not mean that it all came easy for her at that point. And right. we'll talk about how the Lord w- was working that. Um, she chose all, and all includes suffering right. and joy. You know, and mm-hmm. consolations and mm-hmm. uh, peace of soul <laughs> and all, all these all these good things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you choose all, the cross is part of all. And I think that's where, uh, to me, a real attraction mm-hmm. to St. Therese's where, like, we're not just, it's not, oh, look, uh, saccharine French piety. It's like that's, that's such a terrible dismissal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would challenge that a person hasn't actually read Joy of the Soul if they dismiss Therese's saccharine French piety. Uh, but uh, but there's a there's a real maturity of soul here entering into the life of the cross mm-hmm. on the part of Therese, and we would see that play out uh, quite literally mm-hmm. throughout the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. So one final thought for me, mm-hmm. um, and then you think about, too, if you have any final thoughts before we wrap this up. She mentions here again, it's <coughs> towards the end of Chapter 4, about um, making a consecration at, at one point to the Blessed Mother, and when she was physically ill, it was... Uh, miracle of grace when she received her healing she she believed and it seems like the lord allowed her to understand that that was the case that this healing came through the intercession of the blessed mother but she talks about consecrating herself to the blessed mother and the importance of having this devotion to our lady and taking her along as this as this role model this intercessor this queen in her life and in the life of her soul and that reminded me of um something i read recently too which is the book Union with God according to St. John of the Cross, which is like commentary on John's teachings by Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, which is a beautiful book mm-hmm. if you are wanting to like dive into um, John's teachings and, and, and like... Just the spiritual life in general. Yeah, it's a right. great 
just it is. primer on the spiritual life. Like that. Yeah. That was me watching the video. But anyway, he talks about the the real sufferings of these nights of our senses of our spirit, um, how how painful they are to because you do you go through times where aridity and dryness and um, you're you're seeking God for God alone and that means you feel everything that you're attached to and it's quite painful. Um, okay. So anyway, he talks about though that there is there is an intercessor that so often we we don't forget about but it's important for us to remember our lady can sweeten the pains of the spirit that her faithful servants incur our lady can sweeten the pains of the spirit so really when we're going through this when we're entering into our life to keep our mother by our side to know that certainly she doesn't make the pains go away um you know they weren't didn't go away in her own life you know our, our lady suffered greatly in ways that we will never understand but she does somehow sweeten the pains of all of this and we can see that in Therese's life played out as well that mm -hmm. the Blessed Mother though not taking the pains away and not making the suffering any less intense did sweeten it in a way and so please keep that in mind too as you continue your walks with the Lord of keeping Our Lady close by your side yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so if you want to internalize and practice the first four chapters of the story of the soul it's don't be attached to sensible consolations right. because they are fleeting. Right. Uh, when we experience uh, uh, revoking of those consolations, which if we're growing, we very likely will, mm -hmm. uh, then persevere in prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, persevere in the life of virtue. Recognize that this isn't, you're not doing something wrong, but this is an opportunity for growth. This is a vehicle of great graces. Mm -hmm. And uh, and through that, uh We'll, you know, th we'll see that lived out in, in greater detachment, you know, greater, uh, you know, just devotion and faithfulness, mm -hmm. despite all that suffering, and mm -hmm. a peace of soul despite whatever aridity we're going through, and through it, you know, yeah, stay close to, stay close to Mary, mm -hmm. uh, let her be there at the foot of the cross with you, mm -hmm. and just like she was with John and Mary Magdalene, and greater yeah. trust, a yep. greater trust, come what may, right? Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So God and God alone, Christ and Christ alone, this is where he's calling us, this is where he's drawing us, this is what we see play out, that the Lord is doing this in Therese's life. Question for the readers, in the, again, study edition that IECS publishes, there at the end of every little section, there's kind of <coughs> some commentary on what was going on, and then discussion questions that you could, you know, discuss privately in prayer if you're doing this as a small group. But one question in particular I want to leave you guys with as we... Um, yeah, as this week unfolds before we, we are together again in the next episode. When you look back upon your own life, have you ever stood in amazement that you survived a devastating loss? Have you ever experienced God's love in the midst of your deepest darkness? So should that be a place where the Lord allows you to go? Think about that. Do what Therese did. Take some time to like think reflectively on your life as a, as a youngster, as a child, as a, as a young person, and wonder about how these opportunities or how these sufferings that perhaps you've always looked at through a lens of, I don't know why that happened to me and I'm still peeved about it. Look at it, how maybe God was using that as an opportunity of grace to grow you um, and, and wonder about that, how he got you through those times. And that allows us to grow and trust then again, that if those times come again, certainly he'll get me through them again. Just something to think about. Okay, any other final thoughts? Okay, so, wow, that was fun. Oh, yeah. My excitement was well-placed. Ha-ha. <laughs> I was just thinking in my head, wait a second. I know that you are, a, uh, you know, you take John and his teachings very seriously. So are you 
are you saying yes to doing these episodes with me because you're inclining yourself to the least favorable things? How should I just? Mm, well, you know, I don't, I don't discuss my uh, appendices in public. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I was hoping to end on a mm-hmm. flashy like burger. Awesome. Okay. Thank you again. So All next right. week we're going to pick up with manuscript A, chapters 5 through 8, and see what the Lord did in our little accomplishment during that time. Mm-hmm. Would you like to close us in prayer? Sure. Dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Lord, we ask that uh, we may take the, the life and lessons and teaching of St. Therese to heart. Uh, help us to be faithful in consolations, faithful in suffering, and give us the grace to choose all uh, that you offer to us uh, for the sake of our growth and for the sake of our closeness to you and ultimately for the sake of our salvation. And make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.